Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this gathering. Thank you for um, the vision of the future that you have implanted uh, in this place, that you've cast first and foremost in our hearts. And now, Lord, as we begin to talk about it out loud, um, it gets exciting as we think about what can happen, especially for our children. So, Father, we pray for your spirit to be present in this place. May you move in a very powerful way to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, book of Deuteronomy, if you're new to the Bible, it's in the front half of your Bible. It's uh, the Old Testament, uh, right? One of the first five books of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. Um, a lot of times we refer to these books as the book of the law, and the sort of technical theological term is the Pentateuch, Penta meaning five, so it's one of the first five books of, uh, of, the, of the Old Testament, and um, it's actually the Bible that Jesus would have read, so he, as a young Jewish boy, Jesus would have read uh, this, this is the Bible that he would have read. He would have read especially from the book of Deuteronomy because it was the most popular and most highly circulated manuscript or Bible that was going around at the time. Um, in fact, when you get to the New Testament, you see Jesus, and Jesus um, uh, shares messages and so forth. He quotes most often from the book of Deuteronomy, um, than, more often from that book than any other book of the first five books of that book of the law, the, the Pentateuch. And so Deuteronomy was really, really significant. In fact, there's a part of Deuteronomy uh, in the passages that we're going to look at. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 1 through 13 is where we're going to be. There's a section of it, specifically verses 4 through 6, that um, is kind of a creedal statement. It's a statement of faith that, uh, lots, that all young, uh, young boys, young Jewish boys would learn as they were growing up. In fact, it was the first thing that they would learn. It was the first statement of their faith that they would learn, and we're going to get to that in just a little bit, but they were, they were taught to recite it, to verbally recite it out loud um, at the time that they rose up, they got up in the morning, and then when they went to bed at night. So it was really, really important, and it was right here in the book of Deuteronomy, which we're going to look at in just a moment. Um, so really, really critical, critical passages that we're looking at, really, really prominent in the Old Testament. In fact, um, one other little piece about it, it says, uh, you'll see the word, um, uh, that, that creedal statement that I was just talking about is actually known as the Shema, the Shema. And that word Shema literally means here, here, on three say here, one, two, three. Here. That was weak, one, two, three. Here. Thank you. So it means here, H-E-A-R, not H-E-R-E, H-E-A-R. In other words, what what uh, Moses is wanting us to understand is that these words he wants you to hear, God wants you to hear these words, these, he these words are incredibly important, they're vital, they, they mean and they, they mean a lot, they matter most significantly, that's why they made him commit him to, to memory, is to hear, 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 hear these words, so that's what we're going to do is hear these words words. Hear them with me. Follow along. This is not where you get to check out. This is the most important. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 1 through 13. And it goes like this. I'm going to read them all, so hang with me, all right? These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. 
so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Verse 3, hear Israel, there's that word, hear Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is that section known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Verse 7, check this out. This is where we're going today. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. Verse 12, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse 13, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. All right. To provide a little bit more context for the, these passages, um, I'll use this illustration. So the, the NFL, I'm a big football fan, some of you are, some of you, this is, I just lost you, but the NFL um, has the draft that's going on right now. Uh, basically, they're taking the best college players um, uh, and they're going to draft them onto pro teams. Teams get an opportunity to pick the best players that they can to better enhance their team, right? So... Um, what that means for the team is that they have the potential to get better with one of these draft picks if it all works out. But what it means also for the player is that there's the potential to now enter a land that flows with milk and honey. Why? Because they have the potential. If indeed they make the team and they sign a contract, at the very minimum league salary, they will be um, in the multiple of hundreds of thousands of dollars. In other words, getting drafted uh, getting, and potentially having the, the opportunity to make a team means that your world could change dramatically. Not only will their world change dramatically, if you watch the, if you watch the draft, it's all on, on TV and you can check it all out, but you generally see family and friends around. Why? Because they know, all know that they will share in the benefit of this 18, 19, or 20-year-old young football player if indeed he gets signed and he begins to make a lot of money. In fact, if things go well for that player, if, it, if he makes a team and if he becomes a star, there are generations and generations of his family that have the potential to be impacted by the blessings that he will receive from having made the NFL. Now, with that, however, if you give an 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old a whole bunch of money, what is there the potential for? <laughs> all kind, if you give one of us, even at this age, there's all kinds of potential for stuff, right? 
But the truth of it, you think about it. You give an 18, 19, 20-year-old that kind of money, and you, it, he enters into that land that flows with milk and honey. Too much of a good thing is still too much. And so there's the potential that things could go bad. In Deuteronomy, essentially what God is trying to help the Israelites, his people understand, is that you are about to get something that is really, really, really good. This is because of the promise that I made to your forefathers that you are about to enter a land that truly, literally flows with milk and honey. It is wonderful. It is amazing. It is, it is, it is the thing that I promised you. It, it, uh, you were in Egypt as a slave. This is, we're going way beyond that now. You are going to inherit a land that will blow your mind and you will inherit the blessings that I promised to your forefathers. And I think in these passages, verses 1 through 13, Deuteronomy 6, God is sort of issuing a warning. In the same way that the NFL talks to its rookie players, guys who just came into a lot of money about there's the potential that things could go bad here, God is speaking to, the, to his people saying, hey, as you enter this blessing and as you get to experience more than you have ever known before, I want you to remember these things. And at the top of that priority list as you receive this blessing is I want you to remember to fear me, respect me, remember the boundaries that I set for you, remember the commandments that I, that I invited you to obey, remember the relationship that we have that I am God, I am Lord, I am your one and only, we are exclusive, right? As your top priority, remember that. But he said, secondly, and very closely to that, is to impress these things on your children. Talk to your kids. In the same way that you've developed a devotion for me, in the same way that you've developed and you understand my expectations in this relationship, my people, I want you to make sure that you pass along that same blessing and those same teachings to your kids. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you any, everything that you could possibly imagine. But don't forget these things. Don't forget me and don't forget to pass me along to your, to your children. To your children. So, um... In our family, everyone has um, a bank account at the same bank. Um, in fact, my, my youngest daughter, Liberty's 14, we just recently opened a bank, bank account for her, which is kind of cool. Everybody has, everybody has bank accounts. Um, but we're doing that so that we can teach her, teach all of them about money, right? Teach them about giving, saving, and spending, because that all goes along with the money, right? And you start early, start helping them along. To understand these things so that they don't get into trouble. So, but uh, what, is, what it really does for Christina and I is very, very convenient in that since we're all on the same account and I can see everything and everybody's activity and what they're doing and everything, um, it makes it convenient that if the kid is off somewhere doing something and they need some money, right, I don't have to physically go to them and give them cash. I can actually, this is really cool, parents, I highly recommend this. I can actually pull up my phone and pull up the app to our credit union. And I can, in a matter of seconds, in a matter of seconds, I can take 
what I have and transfer it into their accounts. And they can access that money just like that. It's a beautiful thing. All right. Now, the cool thing about the app, the cool thing about the app is that it reminds me, because sometimes you get in, you do in life and you, you know, don't realize that you've already sent them some money or put money in their account. Um, and so it will remind me my last transfer that I made to the kids so I don't do it again, which is wonderful. <laughs> I don't want to be giving them too much money, amen? So, so here's the thing, here's the thing. Wouldn't it be nice and wouldn't it be simple and easy if we could take our spiritual values and our spiritual life and at the, at the tap of a screen transfer them to our kids? Oh, man, if I, if I could just pull that up, if I could just pull an app up and it said, it said you know, um, I don't know, integrity, or, or it said, it said uh, prayer life, or it said generosity, or if it said, it said um, character, if it, worship, and I could just... I could just tap the screen and they would, it would transfer into them and, and it, would, it would make a difference, man. I would. How many of you would download that app right now, baby? Yeah. Show me the app. Because here's, here's what Deuteronomy calls us to do. Don't miss this. This is, from, this is from the message. I love the way the message does this. It says, Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verses 6 through 9 from the message. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them, this is when it talks about what we do for our kids. Get them inside of you and then get them inside your children. As you enter the beauty of this land and as you enter the, the incredible blessings of this land, make sure that you get me on the inside of you, but don't forget to make it a priority to get, to transfer what you have, to transfer me and that relationship that we have to your kids. And did you catch that, Adventist church people? I love the way the message puts it. Get it on the inside of them. Sometimes we're satisfied if it's just on the outside. <laughs> I baptize them, I make them a member of the church, and every now and then they show up in the pew and all is good. But how many times have children grown up and gone through the church and, and, and they have no clue who Jesus is? It's impossible to get it on the outside but miss the inside. And very often as Adventists especially, we're big on rules and guidelines and do this and do that and don't do this and don't do that. And, and so there's, a, there's something happening on the outside but they're may very well be nothing happening on the inside. And the message says, no, get that over on the inside. That's going to be absolutely critical. Now, I have, to, I have to say this right here at this moment. This is a disclaimer. Because as a pastor, some dear church saints uh, often make the assumption that we have done it all just right. That pastors and pastors' families just get this transfer of spiritual life and values and spiritual formation with our children. We have it just perfectly. Okay? I'm going to go ahead and say no to that. No, 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 no. 
We, in fact, there are many of you that have done and do a better job of this than I do. You get it. And you're intentional and you do it and you do it well. So disclaimer, this is a journey for all of us. Attempting to do this, this transfer, attempting to make a difference in the lives of our kids and, and follow what God calls us to do to transfer spiritual life and spiritual values to them. And I don't have it down. But I do see some things in these passages that, that make me uh, want to share them with you, all right? So we're going to check it out real quick. This is the thought that came to my mind, and it's this. In the land of plenty... Catch this. In the land of plenty, we cannot afford to have spiritually deprived children. In the land of plenty, we cannot afford to have spiritually deprived children. In a land that flows with milk and honey, in this day and age in which you and I live, we have at our fingertips so much. We are blessed. We have, we, we truly live in a land that flows with milk and honey. I know it doesn't always feel like the promised land, people. I know that. But compared to a lot of the world, you and I have it pretty good. And what's, what the danger is of that is that we will enjoy the land of plenty uh, at the expense of the spiritual development of our kids. And that is our great challenge, I think. I don't, I don't know that there's um, anything else that is probably more Um, uh, that is a greater enemy of the spiritual development of our kids than perhaps prosperity, right? There used to be this saying that, that, that you would hear every now and then in church that, you know, we've been afflicted with affluence. And in many ways, that affliction has the potential to rob us from spending the time and spending the energy of helping our kids come to a deeper knowledge of who God is. Um, birthday parties, birthday parties for kids. Um, I remember growing up, the big birthday party I, I had, I remember, was a McDonald's birthday party. Yeah. Remember those? You have a, who had a McDonald's birthday party? Y'all were deprived, poor children. Yeah. Parents didn't love you, did they? I had a McDonald's birthday party. That's what it stands out. Birthday parties have gone um, in many different ways, but what I tend to see now is this is this trend towards bounce houses, right? Lots of bounce houses at parties these days. And it was interesting, there was a series of, of very bad experiences with bounce houses at kids' backyard parties um, in recent years. And what it is, they don't anchor them down. So a big wind, if you're in Texas especially, a big wind comes along and you would see all the children in the bounce house and the bounce house go flying away. Now, that's not really funny, but it's kind of funny. Um, and the children, the children go flying. And it's, it's very, it's frightening because there go your children in the big bounce house and everything. And I think there's a lesson in that reality. Because there's one thing that will help keep the bounce house grounded and your children grounded. And that is anchoring the bounce house. That is, that is fastening it to something that is secure so that it doesn't take off. And to a great extent, that's what we're attempting to do. In the land of plenty, we cannot risk having spiritually deprived children. Because when things get tough, when the, 
harsh winds blow, they will be tempted. They could potentially be taken up in the craziness of this life and of this world and taken away. But if indeed you and I are going to be faithful to the call of Deuteronomy, it means that we anchor them to something far more substantial, something significant, something that will hold them in place, something that is substantial that will keep them from flying off. This is what it sounds like uh, if you go to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7. This is the outcome we are after. If we're doing the development, of, the spiritual development in life of our kids, this is what we're after. I love the way Colossians 2 and Jeremiah 17 put it. Colossians 2 says this, let your roots grow down into him. Get them grounded. Go down deep. And let your lives be built on him. <clears throat> then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole spiritual discipleship model right there in one passage, man. Help our children to grow deep in him. Help them to build their lives on Jesus, on God. And they will overflow with thankfulness. How many of you would love to have thankful children? Can I get an amen, people, please? <laughs> thankful children, amen. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 through 8. Listen to this. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in the Lord. In the land of plenty, in the land of plenty, where there's the potential for all kinds of things, you want to have kids that trust the Lord that find only their confidence in the Lord. That way when the heat comes, and it will come, there's only so long that we can protect them, only so long that they can inhabit the Adventist bubble before they move out into the real world and the heat is on. The challenges come and their faith is questioned. Will they be able to stay in the heat? Will they be anchored to something far more significant? So God says, hey, pay attention. Make this a priority. And in the land of plenty, we cannot have spiritually deprived children. So let me, let me keep rolling here real quick. Um, the other really significant thing that comes out of the passages is this. And that is God uses the word oath in there. And an oath is essentially like a covenant. It's a promise. So not only is God saying, hey, you as a parent, make sure you observe what I've commanded you. Make sure you get me on the inside. But you're also going to make sure that you're getting me on the inside of your children as well. But it's not just some sort of passing thing that I want you to do. I want you to commit to it. I want you to essentially literally what he's saying is I want you to I want you to bind yourself to this to this reality of making sure that your children aren't spiritually deprived in the land of the plenty 
Make sure that you commit to this. That means you, you are all in on this. You will not back down. You are, you are bound to it. It is a vow that you take. I mean, it is, it's, it's deep. It's, that, it's a covenant that you make. You could probably put it right along the same lines of the, of the covenant and the vow that you made when you stood, if you're married, when you stood in front of a preacher and took that ring and had all the cake and all that sort of thing. Is that significant? The commitment to make sure that your kids are spiritually being impacted. All right, why is it important? Because we live in a day and age in which generations, younger generations, younger people are, are leaving the faith, departing faith. There's a growing number of people who are referred to as the nuns. And these are, always, these are people who potentially grew up with a faith, but now they're starting to depart from the faith. They choose not to identify with any faith group whatsoever. It's not so much that they're even mad about it. It just sort of seems like the faith is irrelevant to them. That's the challenge that we face. That there's an abandoning of faith, and I would say there's an abandoning of, of hope, really. So what we do is critical in these moments right now as a church that we rally around any notion of spiritually investing in children um, to the extent that we are bound to it, that we are, that we are vowed and covenanted with it to, to do whatever we can to make a significant impact on the lives of kids. And I, I use that, I'm going to use kids very broadly. We're talking from the littlest ones to the kids that meet up in the Upper Youth Center. That's kids, man. We bound ourselves, we bind ourselves to that commitment so that we can continue to um, instill hope in the hearts of these children. I'll, let me end with this. So um, at the age of 15, um, I, was a, I had just become a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And you guys convinced me that Pathfinders would be a good idea. All right? <laughs> and it was. I'm glad I, I'm glad I went. It was better than Boy Scouts because it had, you had girls in there. So I was like, go ahead. Can't beat that. All right? That's a good thing. In the woods with girls. Anyway. All right. So, bad pastor. All right. So, so then, then you convinced me to go on this camp out, this massive camporee. Um, and it was, in, it was out in Colorado. It was in a, in a place called Leadville, Colorado. All right? Out in the middle of nowhere in this valley in Colorado. It's the first ever worldwide international Pathfinder, Adventist Pathfinder Camporee. And I'll never forget it. Um, had, a, had a great time getting out there. But in this valley, the, the church built basically a little city for 15,000 kids. They built the city. There's nothing in this valley. That's where the sheep were, were, would roam. And we kicked the sheep out and we built the city for all the Pathfinders. And um, it was just, it was an amazing sight. I'll never forget, my buddy and I actually got picked to march in. They had the big parade and you march in. We got picked to march in and, and hold the, the, the American flag and the Christian flag. And we were the first people to walk. And they had this big stage, big screen. And we got to walk up there. And it was so cool. You know, and me, I'm a new Adventist. I'm thinking this is the greatest thing ever. It's the coolest thing. Made a huge impression on me. But I'll never forget who the speaker was um, for one of the parts of the, of the gathering, of the, of the big thing that night. And um, 
Now, based on your political persuasion, you might not appreciate who the speaker was, but just go with me, all right? Try not to be a Democrat or a Republican in this moment. Amen? Say amen if you agree. One, two, three. Amen. All right, that was weak, but that's all right. So, so the speaker for part of the evening was none other than Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson. And there was a collective groan. No. <laughs> so, so but, but I'll never forget, I'll never forget um, the line that he had. And it's the title of my sermon. Keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. And here's the thing. Jesse Jackson in that moment was quite brilliant. Because there were 15,000 kids out there who represented the future. They were, they were younger than, some of them were younger than me. I mean, Pathfinder starts at what, 9, 8, 10, I don't know, but it, young, right? And he had the foreknowledge and the, and the wisdom to think, to know that if he could implant a message in the hearts of these kids at this point, it would perpetuate down through the generations until today in 2017 in April in Apopka, Florida, one of those kids would say, keep hope alive. And in a day and age where faith and hope are being abandoned by younger generations, all I got to say, Seventh-day Adventist Church, do whatever you can, we must do whatever we can to implant a message in the hearts and in the minds and the souls of younger people so that years from now, hope will indeed be alive. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the calling that you have upon those of us who choose to be a part of your church. And that is to, to, to dig down very deeply and to go all in on making sure that we communicate your message of love and the gospel to a generation that's coming behind us. Whatever we have to do, whatever sacrifice we have to make, Father, may we be committed to doing that for the sake of the children, for the sake of hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.